Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Nikoroi Hawkins. Coming up first... Currently around 300 workers here in the bay now. There are concerns for RSC workers still missing after Cyclone Gabriel. Also... The FSM will receive on an annual basis $140 million per year in sector grants. We look at the significance of Washington locking in the final compact MOU in Micronesia and later on... And if PNG can get there, it will heighten the interest, not just in the sport, but in the female sport. The Papua New Guinea Lakatoys final squad is named for their FIFA Women's World Cup qualifier against Panama this weekend. Approximately 91 Tongan RSC workers have been rescued or evacuated out of the 300 working across Hawke's Bay in the central North Island of New Zealand during the severe flooding event that brought parts of Aotearoa to its knees. 50 were rescued by helicopter after being stranded on rooftops at Mr Apple Kinross Orchard for hours they were taken to Napier. At Mr Apple's Miani Orchard, around 28 workers self-evacuated by van through floodwaters and are also sheltering in Napier. 13 from a Pakufai Road Orchard were also rescued from rooftops by helicopter and have been taken to shelter in Hastings. Lydia Lewis filed this update from Tongan RSC worker liaison for Hawke's Bay, Tevitalata, who's called the workers survivors. Currently around 300 workers here in the bay now. And for those that were affected by the flooding and the cyclone yesterday, it's about 91, 92, yeah, 91. So they are now at the center. One center at uh, Nabia for, uh, for, for the Tongans is about 78 uh, workers are there and about uh, 15 or east. Uh, workers here in Hastings, Hastings uh, Sports Centre. So, uh, because I'm based in, in Hastings, um, only Hastings Centre uh, I'm uh, access to and available for me to go there. So, I was with the police. Um, however, so, uh, and I can't go to uh, Napier uh, Centre because of the uh, restriction. Because of most of the accommodation or most of the, the police accommodation, Yes, uh, the uh, the power is still down in internet and the uh, network and so forth. This is very hard. Okay, so all yeah. Mr. Apple workers at different locations. Yeah, three different locations. What are the different three different locations? Uh, the, the, like like um, like Kinross Orchard. Yeah, that's where the those they were having the um, the alive in the post. And there's um the, the second one was from uh, Miani Orchard. Uh, when the when the water uh, was uh, start the uh, coming up more and more and uh, but was ma- manageable for the uh, for the uh, for for their staff to um, to evacuate them. So they were good. Uh, it's about uh, 28 of them. So they they were evacuated them to Napier uh, uh, base. So, and then the third one was from Pakofai uh, uh, Orchard. So it's about the fifteen. So when the when the flooding came up, and then they evacuated them to Hastings uh, Sports Center. <clears throat> so okay. and it's a total of ninety one. 
And were all of them at each location having to go on the roofs? Mm, no. Uh, uh, two of them, they went to the roof. Uh, the first one, Primrose, uh, with 50, and the, and the 13 with uh, Parkify. Ah, uh, so 13 yeah. people were rescued from Parkify off the roof. Park yes. away, and then 50 people were rescued off the roofs in Kinross. Yes. Okay, and were the ones in Kinross taken to Napier? Yes. Okay, and so were all 50 rescued by helicopter? Yes. Okay, so 50 rescued from helicopter in Kinross, and then another dozen or so rescued by helicopter um, in Parkaway taken to Napier? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's true. And Miani were not rescued off roofs, but they were also no. um, they were evacuated. Yeah, they they, they were evacuated through the 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 vans and so forth. So it's a it's a normal one. Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Um, is there anybody from Mr. Apple who has cell phone coverage that I can speak with? Because I've been trying to get Alistair Jameson, but he's not picking up. And also been trying Tamara, but she's not picking up. Who are you speaking mm. with from Mr. Apple? Uh, the, I mean, um, uh, keep in mind the, uh, the, uh, the, the network service is still very, very poor. You know, lucky, lucky I'm, I'm here in my house and I got the internet and so forth. But most of the, most of the place, uh, places, oh man, it's to all oh, oh, town. Uh, the uh, the power and the, and the network. I think that's why no one pick up the business. Can you just describe the scenes for people in Tonga? It was really hard when the water level arise, you know, just, you know, not not in hours, in just minutes. That's what the boys was trying to explain to me this morning. Uh, when they uh, when they saw the the the, the wood coming to the to their house and uh, the podacom and just going up 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 up, you know. Meanwhile, 22 salmon workers have been rescued by chopper and boat from a different orchard in Pakofai. There are many impacted businesses who have workers from different countries. Solomon Islands, Tonga, Nauru, Vanuatu, Kiribati and Tuvalu are also part of the New Zealand RSC worker scheme. RNZ has been trying to contact spokespeople from all communities but has not been able to get through. We understand RSC workers are missing and will keep you up to date with any developments. For the latest, please check on our website at rnzi.com. The Federated States of Micronesia is the latest of three North Pacific U.S. countries to sign an MOU with Washington, D.C. as they negotiate the renewal of economic support through their respective compacts of free association with the United States. Micronesia's president, David Panuelo, signed the MOU last week, while the leaders of Palau and the Marshall Islands signed theirs last month. Mr. Panuelo, in a speech addressing the country, said FSM stands to gain a significant increase in funding from the U.S. During the amended comeback period from 2003 to 2023, the FSM received on an annual basis approximately $80 million per year in sector grants. During our new comeback period from 2024 to 2044, 
the FSM will receive on an annual basis $140 million per year in sector grants. The money from these sector grants do not just sit at the national government. They go directly to the states and directly to fund our schools, our hospitals and infrastructure. We can expect that in the next compact period, we will be able to provide much better education, health and infrastructure services to our citizens, including pay level rises for teachers and doctors and more and better supplies for our schools and health centers. Over the next 20-year period, the FSM will see $2.8 billion in direct sector grant assistance that will directly benefit our states in tremendous ways. Caleb Fotheringham speaks with RNZ Pacific's Marshall Islands correspondent, Giff Johnson, about the significance of FSM signing off on the Memorandum of Understanding, which forms the basis for what will become the third edition of its Compact of Free Association with the United States. From the standpoint of the United States, it's quite significant that it has now signed a memorandum of of understanding with the Federated States of Micronesia because it's the last of the three to sign a, a similar MOU. Both Palau and the Marshall Islands had signed their Compact of Free Association MOUs uh, several weeks ago. And the Federated States of Micronesia had some outstanding issues. And then following a visit to Washington by uh, FSM President David Ponwello, uh, like 10 days, two weeks ago or so, uh, they managed to iron it out and they signed this past weekend. So from the U.S. point of view, it now has agreement in principle from all three of the uh, freely associated states in the North Pacific, which is a big plus for the U.S. side. And for the Federated States of Micronesia, if you listen to President Panuelo's speech to the nation, which he put out over the weekend, I mean, he obviously feels that they have gotten an excellent deal. He announced the money figures And it sounds like they've got a pretty good financial response from the U.S. For all three of the freely associated states, there are some really key issues that still are not decided on and must be agreed to before the full compacts of free association for each of the three islands will be signed off on. In terms of the outstanding issues that FSM had, do you have any idea what they were? Well, this is somewhat similar, at least for the FSM in Palau. The issues are a bit similar, and that is a really key concern is what they call the Fiscal Procedures Agreement, which is the agreement that controls how U.S. funding is spent. And during the current and soon expiring 20-year agreement, Federated States of Micronesia and the Marshall Islands have really disliked the setup because it gives the U.S. a three-to-two majority, and the islands don't like it. And then they look to Palau, which didn't sign its compact at the same time 20 years ago. It waited, saw what played out for the FSM 
and the marshals and use that to get a better setup, the, the financial side of it. So they have a completely different system, which is far superior from the point of view of like island financial decision making. This is a stumbling block that both the uh, Marshall Islands and the FSM uh, have said that, you know, that, that some changes, changes have to be made to that. And whether they still have leverage to get changes based on now having signed agreements in principle about the amounts that'll be provided, I don't know. And that's kind of an open question at this point. But there's still a lot of the details, and, and particularly for the Marshall Islands, a lot of detail is still to be negotiated and put into black and white. So the FSM is unique because it shares diplomatic ties with both China and the US. Does this make its compact any different to the others? The FSM's dual China and US uh, diplomatic ties don't make it different totally, but in a way it gives it a bit of leverage since it's the only one of the three freely associated states that do have ties with China, which means it has a a Chinese embassy in its capital, Pompei. So there's official diplomatic presence in the FSM. And I would say from the U.S. point of view, while the Marshall Islands is significant because it has the Kwajalein missile range, which is the most important missile testing range that the United States operates, uh, and Palau has its security value in part due to its proximity to Asia, even though it doesn't particularly have active military bases. But the proximity offers various things. And I know that Palau and U.S. officials have been discussing expansion of things there. Meanwhile, the FSM has never had a U.S. military presence, but the diplomatic ties with China in the current geopolitical competition really does give them a bit more leverage. And I think it certainly raises the FSM's visibility in Washington. And I think the uh, U.S. Is, has, been, has shown great willingness to work with President Manuelo and to move this process along. Uh, I mean, the U.S. is the one that's pushed very hard on these deadlines to try to get these uh, preliminary agreements signed, and it's been successful. Uh, The Palau and the Marshalls signed theirs last month, and now the FSM has just signed its. You said the FSM's president was almost, I don't know if you use the word boasting, but he was talking about how much money he's going to receive with this compact. Do you think part of the reason he got so much is because of the relationship with China and him using that leverage almost as you were talking about? Here's the thing. The freely associated states have gone through three phases. And when the initial compacts were being first negotiated in the 1970s and into the early 80s, we had the overlay of the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. That gave a certain amount of leverage and visibility to the islands and increase their strategic value to the United States. So there was some leverage and that helped the islands. 
then as the first compact uh, wound down in the early 2000s, the Cold War was over, the Berlin Wall had come down, and essentially these islands were kind of backwatered by Washington. And I think they were just considered, well, they're in the fold, and the, the, the compact relationship is a long-term treaty, right? The only thing that's expiring are the financial provisions. So the, the fact that defense control and authority, it's ongoing. Uh, so Washington just kind of backburnered the islands. And in the second compacts, you know, it was able to get a lot of concessions that maybe it couldn't have gotten in, in during the Cold War negotiations. Well, here we are, you know, the last three, four years with the new geopolitical situation between China and the U.S. So that's elevated the leverage of the islands, even if the leverage may still be relatively modest. The visibility in Washington, where you have both Republicans and Democrats saying the same thing, which is get these agreements locked in with Palau, the FSN, and the Marshallans. I mean, these three countries may be the only thing that the Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. Congress agree on. Both sides of the aisle, both political parties have been vehement in calling for the executive branch to get things resolved and make sure to lock down these agreements for the long term and to address island issues. Not, I mean, it's not a belligerent sort of thing. They've been quite supportive of, of addressing island issues that have been brought up. But the point is, is that it's a overriding issue now, this security situation because of the geopolitical struggle between Beijing and Washington. The Lakatois, Papua New Guinea's women's football team, are only two games away from qualifying for the Women's Football World Cup. The team will face Panama in the semi-final of a qualifying competition for the Women's Football World Cup at North Harbour Stadium in Auckland this Sunday. A win will set them up for a final decider against either Chinese Taipei or Paraguay. Papua New Guinea coach Spencer Pryor says that if his team qualifies for the World Cup, it would be a huge moral booster for football in much of the Pacific region, where the sport has long been overlooked in favour of rugby. Finau Fonor spoke with the former Manchester City midfielder about his team's prospects. Could you describe this upcoming match against Panama? How important is it? It's not just this team, it's also the potential legacy that it can create for for PNG and women's football in the region, right? And and even beyond that, like you look at OFC, who under Oceana Football Confederation, Oceana Football Confederation, who Typically, normally only would get uh, New Zealand going to World Cups and Olympics because of the gap um, between New Zealand and the rest. But because of the format of the World Cup this year, it's opened up another spot. So there's a potential for another Oceania Championship to compete in a World Cup, which is obviously significant for the entire region. In Papua New Guinea, how developed or underdeveloped is the sport of football in Papua New Guinea? Um, compared to the rest of the world? Actually, not just Papua New Guinea, but the Pacific region as a whole. Prior to COVID, there was a women's football committee that actually developed a league, got the league up and running, but then obviously COVID hit, which had an impact on that. So 
there's huge interest there um, in getting it up and running and established again and making sure that it's running well. I think, you know, I think I think coming from a country, and, and you know, right, so coming being down in, in Oceania, um, rugby or rugby league is still the primary sport. So when you get the opportunity to develop and build football, which is a significantly bigger global game, um, you've got to try and grab it. So to qualify for a tournament where more people are actually going to watch the Women's World Cup globally than would watch the Men's Rugby World Cup. I think that that in itself is significant. And if PNG can get there, it will heighten the interest not just um, in in the sport, but particularly in the female sport. This Panamanian team, they're pretty good. Could you describe the challenge that your team faces? They'll, they'll be very good because, you know, coming from uh, South America where the competition is arguably, and, and it's no disrespect to the uh, domestically or even in their international calendars, uh, are much harder. They'll be they would have played a lot more harder games at a higher level, which will raise their standards. So they'll be very good. But they'll also be predictably unpredictable, which is the thing that you get with South Americans, right? So they'll be super technical, they'll be fast. But, you know, it's, it's a game of football. And I played in a game where... I played in a game for a team called South End United and we beat Man United. And anything can happen over 90 minutes. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just give it our best shot and be as prepared as we can to not just worry too much about them. Of course, we try and make sure we nullify their strengths, but we also need to focus on ourselves and how we play. The Panama women's team are ranked 57 in the FIFA World Rankings and Papua New Guinea is ranked 51. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at me for next time more.